People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. According to our next guest, everything that is built in Israel is for somewhere else. And this attitude has helped Adir Levitas, the founder and CEO of Arrowpoint, help create one of the fastest growing industrial investors in the United States. Today's conversation will focus on how the company started and its early days in looking at the last mile opportunities across the industrial space, which no one was seriously looking into as an asset class. But this is precisely why Farpoint went into this direction. And today the business is growing across the country with speed and agility. Welcome to the pod, Adir. Adir, uh, good morning, good afternoon. Uh, how are you? I'm great, Vlad. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Where do we find you? Where are you today? I'm at uh, Hoboken, New Jersey, where I moved with my family about um, almost a year ago now. Okay, okay. And is this also where the company is uh, headquartered, or are you just uh, working from home on Friday? Um, no, our offices are actually uh, walking distance from my home in, in Hoboken, also at Hoboken in the uh, southern uh, southern part of, of Hoboken, and that's I guess that's our headquarters. Uh, we also have a big presence in, in Israel and eight other offices in the States, but I guess okay. here is the biggest presence. Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, Adir, by way of introduction, tell us a little bit about yourself, sort of you know how you uh, got to where you are today, and uh, let's talk about your you know company and sort of how we, how it all started. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, so uh, a little bit about me. Um, 34 years old, um, started the company 10 years ago. Uh, prior to that, um, I was in the Israeli uh, Air Force, um, along actually with um, eight or 10 of the people that uh, work at the company uh, today that uh, we met back in the Army or right uh, at, uh, uh, at the reserves uh, service. And so I was six years at the Army and uh, born and raised in Beersheba, which is the uh, actually Omer, it's a town near Be'er Sheva, uh, which is in the south part of Israel. But um, after the army, I was uh, in or around uh, Tel Aviv, which is, uh, I think, the uh, best city uh, in the world. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not Hoboken um, anymore. It, it, <laughs> you need to <laughs> no, Hoboken is great. Hoboken <laughs> is great, and, and New York City is awesome. But I guess there's uh, something in the combination of the. The weather, the uh, the environment, the the, the the tech and the innovation, and just something very magical sure, to think about sure. uh, about Tel Aviv. And any, everyone has that from you know, I, I guess, a special place in their in their life. So, um, so I started a company when I was 
24 years old, about 10 years now. And, um, and, and the idea was, I, I did that when I was my, in my second um, year at the university. I was studying okay. um, law and, uh, what was that? Uh, <laughs> law and business. Yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could, could, wasn't a big fan of, 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 of school and, uh, um, and I was a little bit um, bored. Uh, as in, in the army, you know, we had uh, in a very early age, um, like a, more than a hundred soldiers when I was at 22 years old um, under me, and the kind of things that you're used to do with your time and time management and responsibility and anxiety, and and then one day you're like, you don't have anyone that reports to you, you don't do anyone, you don't report to anyone, you don't have any mission. Uh, and like, okay, what do I do now? I'm gonna do something uh, for myself, which is pretty weird. Um, at, back at the time, and so in the second year, the second year in university, I, I started ThrowPoint, which was uh, uh, the company started with the uh, idea of let's buy um, real estate post the great financial crisis, and let's uh, see if we can get some good opportunities for investors who are yep. people that we I knew from the army, and they just believed in, in me and that initial team, um, and and that's how we you know we got going. And you and, were but, exclusively at that point looking at real estate in Israel, right? Uh, I, actually, you know, we, we did uh, up to that point, up to 2012, I was looking at the real estate in Israel, and we were all waiting uh, that the great financial crisis and everything that has to do with it uh, that uh, has came um, afterwards to Europe would also come to Israel. And so the Israeli uh, uh, bank, central bank, lowered the interest rate. Uh, and in anticipating anticipation of something to happen, and, and guess what? Real estate have never crushed uh, in in Israel, and uh, and since then prices are going up. So so the opportunity uh, never came in, uh, and prices just appreciated and appreciated because of the interest rate environment. Uh, but uh, banking regulations never led to um, over leverage uh, in, in in Israel, and so that it was a pretty healthy. Uh, environment and so the company was actually set with the idea of let's do that um, somewhere there is an opportunity and that was the United States. Okay, yeah. So tell us about that. Tell us about you know the arrival to the U.S. and sort of how you perceive the market here uh, and where the opportunities were when you when you first yeah. uh, you know started looking at things here. Well, you know, you know that's it's a pretty it's a pretty funny when, when you think about it. Um, a few Israelis uh, in in Tel Aviv thinking. Uh, they're going to find opportunities in, in the States. Um, uh, and I think what led me to think this is the this is an interesting opportunity is when I found out the amount of public information available uh, in the U.S. Um, and through that information, I could sit anywhere in the world, right, and learn a little bit about the markets and how they behave without really growing up in one of those cities we wanted to invest. And so we looked at the time for residential homes in foreclosed, in foreclosure processes or already foreclosed in areas that we can buy a home for less than 100000 but also uh, uh, in, in a pretty good uh, um, in a pretty good area in terms of uh, 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 demographics and household income and schools and, and places we could you know, invest uh, longer term uh, but for a smaller amount, absolute amount of a deal size. And so sure. we, we found ourselves in Memphis, Tennessee. And so in 2012, I came to Memphis, Tennessee, and we purchased somehow uh, a couple hundred homes in the suburbs of Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. Uh, and that's how we, we started. And, and at a certain point, uh, investors just uh, you know followed us and, and came to uh, participate. 
Um, but what happened at a certain point is that it seemed prices are rising and the business model wasn't so interesting because we just made money when we bought a home and sold it to an investor after some renovation. It didn't seem we can actually do something big here in terms of scale. And so we thought about commercial real estate. So by the end of 2013, we, um, uh, you know, we changed the business model to be um, let's buy commercial real estate, find financing for that. And again, opportunities post uh, financial crisis. And, and, and that was, you know, pretty simple business model, nothing too, um, uh, too sophisticated. Uh, and and so at this point, yeah. Adir, were, were you guys acting sort of as a, as a fund or were you starting to apply some, uh, you know, intelligence around, you know, what you were buying and how you were buying it? You know, where, where, you know, where were you as an organization at, you know, at that point? A uh, small organization, no intelligence, no R&D, uh, don't know much about uh, commercial real estate at all, never took a loan from a U.S. bank. Uh, in my third or fourth year, still studying in, in Tel Aviv, uh, maybe we were, you know, we were less than 10 people on payroll. Um, uh, so that was just, you know, trying to, to learn what's happening, uh, and doing, think, trying to do something meaningful. Uh, I think things have changed from 2000. It wasn't a fund. It wasn't one-off deal, one-off deal basis. Uh, from 2013 till 2015, we did that and, um, and I think in 2015, we started to understand that um, we want to do something. We want to specialize in something. Our investors said, guys, you can't do everything that's interesting, residential, all kind of commercial. Estate. Find something you're good at. It. <laughs> I said, okay, if we right. have to find something we're good at it and we're already in Memphis. Um, so Memphis has a great logistics hub because of FedEx and the Mississippi River and where it's located within the U.S. So we started thinking about logistics and, and, and back at the time, um, Amazon was, you know, rolling out uh, Amazon prime and two hours delivery. And I was saying the delivery thing it was at the time. And it became very interesting not to be opportunistic when you think about a deal, but to have uh, a theme investing, investing by a theme that is larger than the opportunity at hand. And, and the theme that we were thinking is e-commerce driving logistics is a structural trend shaping how we consume and how logistics is being, um, you know, operated, uh, operated and uh, and deployed. So logistics became a very big thing in 2015 for us, and over the next uh, three years till 2018, we stopped doing everything else and became a pure play for for industrial real estate uh, in in a few markets at the time already, uh, which was uh, Memphis, Atlanta, uh, markets of, of Texas, and starting in North, uh, uh, in Philadelphia. And in yeah. 2018, to actually uh, um, gain that, uh, to, to make a difference, and, and not just to um, uh, purchase uh, here and there an opportunity, we decided to form an institutional vehicle for the first time. That was the fund that we put in hand, fund number one. And that fund was set to raise 50, 50 million and we happily uh, had more demand than we thought, and we had to increase the cap to 150. So now we're operating out of a fund in 2018 with a very set uh, and clear strategy to purchase industrial real estate, but not only industrial real estate, but we were more thinking about the last mile of industrial real estate because we saw how um, uh, heated that sector was becoming, and we needed to differentiate ourselves. And so the big sure. ones were buying the 200,000 sure. square feet and above, 
and we were buying the smaller urban located warehouses. Uh, and our thesis was, if we can combine enough small urban warehouses, um, and so because the institutional investors can't reach them or don't want to reach them one by one because it's small deals, like $2 million a deal, $5 million a deal, $7 million a deal, then that overall portfolio is going to have a premium. That was the thesis. Nobody's done it at the time. You're buying 1980s small buildings, you know, 50,000 square foot uh, within city limits. You're yep. aggregating yep. it, and maybe it's going to have a premium. That was the yeah. idea. Yeah. So let me take a, take a quick step back here um, because I want to explore something that you said about you know you guys realizing that the trends were shifting. Right. There was a, there was sort of you know e commerce was kind of a theme that was going to drive industrial. Where where did you um, come to understand this? Was this from your experience in sort of what was happening in you know Israel and Europe and elsewhere? Was it was it something else that you saw? Um, how how did you identify that as a as a as a sort of mega trend, if you will? Mm-hmm. So I, I think what happened is that uh, as we started to have more and more uh, investors in Israel um, and and. Um, um, had many conversations with family offices uh, across uh, uh, the state. Um, we we understood that everybody's doing multifamily, um, and multifamily was a very big theme. Uh, many people are doing office, um, and people were telling us, guys, we have our office guy, we have our multifamily guy, uh, what do you guys bring to the table? And so we started to think that was the, a point when we were like, okay, what, how would you differentiate ourselves? And so we looked for things. And right. industrial was... Let's do uh, something no one else is doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that, that was always the theme. It was always the theme and it still is the theme uh, because, and I don't know if what's driving that is being bored <laughs> um, uh, because we need that passion to get up in the morning and say, hey, let's do something special. Let's do something meaningful that uh, people don't do today because if you just do what the next guy does, then, then you know, what's, what's the point? Um, and so back then, it was driving, you know, we were, we were driven from our investors to find something else. And when we started to research industrial, um, and I didn't order anything in, in Amazon at the time. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a, a, an e-commerce uh, a freak. <laughs> um, so um, we started to learn a little bit more and, and, and talk to people and talk to our, uh, some of our tenants at the time and talk to uh, industry leaders uh, and do research in-house using that data. And we're like, okay, this is changing. This is changing. Um, and this should make sense. And I remember the first time we put on that uh, 50 pages research and viewed the results. We we're like, think about it. Okay, so industrial is really strong. Um, that's something we know. But why are those specific assets uh, in urban areas are not that strong? Um, what's happening there? Why don't we see the demand? The supply is very limited because nobody is building, so supply is okay. The demand should be strong because eventually to get something to your home after you've ordered it, you're going to need that urban warehouse because you don't want to go through traffic and and you want to get that access to labor and labor is within the city limits. Um, So it didn't make sense why it's not, you know, uh, skyrocketing in terms of pricing and, and, and going, you know, lower in cap rates. And so we went with that thesis. We went with the data, and we uh, we didn't uh, we we ignored pretty much uh, why this is not uh, happening at the time, and we just you know went with our thesis. Um, so I guess that that was the um, um, that was that aha moment of this should be it. Maybe we're onto something. If everyone if that was doing if the, if the asset class was behaving as it should, then you know we we didn't have an opportunity. So maybe it's the time. 
Yeah, so this was around 2018, right, when you guys kind of made, made this realization, correct? It started in 2015, but it took us about three years to understand this is what, what's going to differentiate us for the next 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's then rewind and last four years, sort of, you know, 2018 onwards, uh, you know, what has the company accomplished and, you know, what, what have you guys done with those hypotheses, you know, that, that, that you set out back in the, you know, middle of the last decade, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I always say that uh, Ferropoint was uh, had two, uh, it's like the first era up to, uh, up to 2018. And then uh, the second part uh, from 2018 to today, it's almost like two companies, uh, if you think about what's happened. And so I think in 2018, when we were convicted that this is what we want to do. This is what's going to differentiate us. And now uh, think about it. So we have, we're six years in the business. So we think we know a little bit more about what's commercial real estate all about. We have more right. access to right. banks. We feel that our hunch is more than a, than a hunch. We understand risk better, uh, but still haven't, uh, uh, haven't had uh, a lot of, uh, you know, um, of, of experience. Uh, and so at that point, we were all in with what we want to do. So yeah. thinking about 2018, probably a little bit more than 10 people um, at the time in the company. And and now we're close to 100. Um, uh, and so the, the growth has been amazing. I can tell yeah, you that. Yeah, 10x uh, in people at least, right? Yeah, and we were 30 people about a year and a half ago. So okay. so it was uh, yeah, 10 to 30 in two and a half years and 30 to 100 in the past year and a half. And I think by the end of next year, it would be closer to 200. Wow. Um, and, 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 and what's happened is that after the first fund, and we deployed that 150 million uh, into 120 assets, so including debt, it was closer to uh, 400 in, uh, uh, in, in value. Uh, um, and, and that portfolio was the first fund that we put together. And last year, we raised the second fund, and that fund raised 500 million. Yeah. Uh, as the second fund, and now we're raising our third fund to be one billion equity uh, to purchase about three billion worth of assets. Um, and so we have become amazing. Bullish. Yeah, that's yeah. that's amazing. Um, as, as, as I think that once we understood this is what we're going to do, we went all in, and all in means we opened more offices, we brought talented people, uh, we took every penny we made as a profit, put it back into the uh, to the organization. Um, and I think we were also lucky because during COVID, during uh, the past that, you know, it's two and a half years, uh, when, when we saw what's happening in the industry and the great resignation and the talented uh, people that were looking to do something, I think they've, many of those people have found home at Fairpoint um, because of the culture. Um, because to, to grow fast and do the right decisions for your LPs, for your investors, um, you need uh, talented people. Uh, you need people that can be responsible of their actions. You need to people to act as startup entrepreneurs within the organization. Um, and we just were lucky to to find great leaders uh, to join and open our offices today in Chicago, uh, Memphis, Cincinnati, uh, Hoboken, Philadelphia, Atlanta, uh, Dallas, and 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 Florida, uh, and now growing to the West Coast um, as well. Uh, and so that was great. But one thing was still a mystery, uh, which was why are people doing the same, um, you know, the real estate is being done the same way for 100 years. <laughs> uh, that, that was a mystery for us um, during the time. And, and, and what, what, what do you mean by that? The way that they developed, the, the, the way that, you know, real estate is purchased, the, the, you know, what, what, what about that was, was, uh, was a mystery to you? 
So I think that when you look at uh, residential real estate and when you look at other other sectors that are not real estate, I look at the sure. financial sector, or, um, there's a lot of information available. And that was, um, you know, to, back to the beginning of, of the conversation, that was what made us want to come to real estate, the fact that, that uh, information was available uh, on the residential side. But on commercial real estate, in commercial real estate, information uh, is very hard to get. And even if you get it, the integrity of the information is hard to get. That's so if right, you want to yeah. really get, uh, really make a data-driven decisions, uh, you got to really work hard to get your data. And sometimes it's almost impossible. Um, and so that that made us think, how can we do, how can we purchase? Now, today we purchase, you know, in a, in a pace of about uh, 200 properties per year. Uh, so to, to purchase 200 properties per year, you need like four properties a week, like a property right. per business day. Right. H- how do you do that? without getting enough data to make sure you're making the right decisions. Uh, and so what we decided to do is to open an R&D department that's uh, today um, about uh, 20 people on payroll. Um, and and uh, uh, we, we joined us, uh, um, um, our super smart uh, CTO, uh, uh, Doris, uh, from Tel Aviv, and she opened the department. And the idea was let's gain a whole lot of information, um, clean it up, which can take months over the months, and it did take months, um, and uh, start to accumulate our own information. And so if we have 10 offices and we work today with about 300 uh, brokers, then uh, we can use uh, the, the deals and the data that's flowing through our systems to actually get a data pool of our own uh, collected proprietary data. And, so and is this data this, just where you have the offices and just in those markets, or, or can you access uh, this on a national basis as well? So we add uh, national, national uh, uh, basis uh, data. So we would yep. you know, pay data sources and pay to all kinds of uh, data providers to use their data. But um, we would also, for real time, the best data we can use is the data that we accumulate ourselves. Now, when you think about that, most companies that uh, get data, uh, they would actually call someone uh, and say, hey, I know you have a building. What do you think about its list rate? So the incentive is weird because why should I tell someone that's calling me, I don't get anything for that, uh, any real numbers or cooperate or spend my time on it. But the reason we got data for our own use is because we wanted to do business with what the brokers have brought us. Yep. So to do that business, we had to have, uh, we, we, got a, we got good information because we were supposed to make an offer. So to make an offer, everyone, nobody had an incentive not to give us the, the best information. And so we started to accumulate tens of billions of dollars worth of information and to have teams that would actually go through the information, verify its integrity, and use data science to help us make smart decisions with regards to what's the market rent, what's supposed to be the future rent growth of a property, um, and, and you know should we buy more in in this pocket in Atlanta or in that pocket in Tampa. Uh, and so that became like, we became tech freaks when that happened because we're like, the industry <laughs> right. is so ancient in some stuff. It's, it's not so hard to, you know, to get a leg up and, right. and, and use that. So, um, so, so this was, this was essentially the, you know, the, you know, rocket engine that kind of, you know, took you from being able to do what you, 
initially planned in 2015 through, you know, 2018, and it kind of, you know, launched you into this new space where now you can, you know, purchase faster, purchase more uh, in in more markets. Um, does this R&D tool then become something that's proprietary, or is it something that you also might consider, uh, you know, giving to others for a, for a fee as well? Uh, good question. So, so today, uh, everything we develop is for our own use. Um, I see that staying in the situation in the upcoming uh, upcoming years. Um, it's just we have too much to do uh, on our own, and and because we're, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're providing an edge to our investors. Um, we want them to to enjoy that uh, first and foremost. Um, but the, the decision to develop those things on payroll. Uh, is not a regular uh, decision because most private equity firms that would start up funds would want to be as lean as possible with their personnel and and you know and and, and maybe take some out, outsource things that they want. But w- we thought about it more almost like a tech company. Let's build infrastructure that would be um, strong and uh, uh, and being able to expand, and that's going to be the right thing to do long term. And so every time, again, every time we make money, put it back into the organization, let's bring more data scientists, let's bring more data engineers, let's bring more uh, software engineers, let's get the best system out there. And so, for example, now we have uh, a proprietary platform, acquisition platform, that not only um, helps getting the, get, get the information, but actually our, our brokers that we work with, they can upload a deal within 60 seconds. Uh, so they can do, they have an app, they can go on their app, upload a deal that they just started interested within 60 seconds. And we would guarantee an LOI within 60 minutes. So think about it. If somebody guarantees you an LOI within 60 minutes or, you know, just refuses to do something, but you know something within 60 minutes, sure. um, that certainty has really changed uh, the lives of our partners and our brokers and the way they want to do business with us. Uh, that's been very, very important for us uh, to, to actually uh, gain that traction and, and, and scale. So, Adir, you mentioned you guys have expanded from your, you know, early M- Memphis, you know, days into into Philadelphia and sounds like Tampa and, um, you know, Hoboken and, you know, the Midwest, throughout the Midwest and now on the West Coast. Where do you see kind of your biggest opportunities going going forward? I mean, now you're an established firm. Sounds like you have no problem raising money. Um, you know, where where do you go next? Uh, so I, I think that when you think about the um, last mile universe of industrial real estate, so industrial real estate as a whole is about t- 2.5 trillion uh, asset class. That, that's okay. the value of those asset class. Um, and about 1.5 trillion, which is, let's say, 60% or a little bit less, is what we do. So what we do that isn't the uh, um, institutional play of the big REITs out there like Prologis and Duke uh, is actually the majority of the sector. The majority of the value of the sector lies within last mile, which is a less institutionalized um, sector. Uh, and how much of that 1.5 trillion, um, uh, how much could we do? I think we could do um, about $5 billion of acquisitions per year. And so we got uh, uh, some, some way to go. Uh, about uh, We're about a, at 1 billion pace. So there's, there's about five times more I think we can still do uh, within this um, uh, industry. So to do so, we have to expand to, to more areas, specifically west from the Mississippi, um, and, and start doing that as well and take more, uh, you know, grip uh, and holdings within local existing uh, markets. So, so that would be a big opportunity for us in the next few years to continue establishing our presence across the U.S., um, doing, you know, using technology to do more volume, more quality 
doing right. underwriting in a, in a different level um, to really reach, you know, close to that 5 billion annually potential of just this sector. And I'm not even talking about the potential of some other real estate sectors that could also be turned uh, with technology um, and, and, and local presence to be even more interesting than now today. Yeah, and that was kind of you know going to be my follow-up question. You know, after industrial, then what? Right? <laughs> where, where, where do you set your sights? Um, I, I think um, that uh, um, uh, you know we're trying to, to focus on what we do. But if if I would just you know think uh, a few years from now wh- where those opportunities uh, lie, um, then I would think about two two areas. One would be um, probably the net lease business. Uh, which is you know, also industrial, but also um, could be uh, uh, parking lots um, that are net lease, could be self-storage that's net lease, uh, off- small office, and, um, and, and retail, obviously, for net lease. Yeah, um, interesting. And I think, yeah, and I think those opportunities within that sector, there's probably four or five trillion in the U.S. of that thing. Uh, which is larger than um, uh, the, the industrial sector. Uh, I think that um, in, in, there's this price point that isn't very much, um, even very much um, um, sought after by individuals that want to get that Chick-fil-A for 20-year lease for $2 million, and but are also not the best fit for the big REITs, like the reality incomes of the world that would probably only look at something 20 or $30 million above. So there's a something between that I think is very similar to the last mile story that needs to be streamlined as probably an inefficiency and an institutional player with the right data and the right speed and the right techniques can uh, can do something interesting. So I would think that's that could be something next. Yeah. Adir, as you're um, working through some of these last mile opportunities, I imagine, you know, you're kind of dealing with sort of, you know, properties that are probably, you know, aging or aged, right, at this point. Um are you noticing with some of the stuff that you guys are doing that you have to do a lot of renovations, kind of updating? Um, kind of what what is this, what is the status of, of of that part of the industry, if you will? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so most of those properties, as you said, uh, they they're some of them are uh, rather old. Um, talking about forty years on average uh, age of most of those properties uh, built in the um, early eighties. And um, definitely, they need some um, love and care, um, I would say, uh, if it's a roof replacement, if it's a lighting replacement, if it's parking overlay. Um, some of those um, uh, premises were used as office uh, in the past and needs to be now uh, converted back to, uh, to industrial. So they require more attention than the big 300,000 or a million square footers uh, you'd see out there that are usually much uh, uh, much newer, but uh, um, I, I think that it's not even close to the amount of management intensive uh, intensivity you would need for office or multifamily. So it's it's more than the big shiny stuff, but it's it's not that much when you think about uh, office and and some other uh, sectors. And we do that. We have construction managers in in every uh, region, every office that uh, we have properties in, um, and I think it's also an opportunity for us to. I guess not just upgrade the property, but you know, do some good for uh, the environment. If it's uh, changing the kind of uh, a rooftop um, uh, to be um, much more um, environment friendly, if it's changing the HVAC systems uh, for cleaner air, um, and and if it's you know electricity within uh, the parking lot for for electric vehicles, 
uh, and all kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, we have a facility in Memphis, for example, uh, that there's even those um, uh, sunflowers, uh, I guess if that's how you call them, that would be located within the front of the facility to help get uh, generate some, uh, 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 some sun for electricity. And we have solar panels that we have installed in, in many um, uh, facilities we have in, in New Jersey, which the incentives also help owners do some of that stuff. So we're very cognizant of what can we do if we're already doing something uh, that will not just upgrade the building, but you know, help um, to the environment. Interesting. Yeah. You mentioned your investment platform when you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this is with, uh, you know, KeyBank. Can you tell us a little bit about more what you're doing there and sort of how you plan to grow this? I mean, this is part of your, you know, you know, the, the fundraise of, you know, 1 billion of equity, but, but, you know, tell us how, how the, how have you tapped into the, into the financial markets here? And so sort of how does, how does that give you a distinctive sort of uh, advantage? Mm-hmm. So, with relates to financing of the acquisitions, uh, yeah, whether it's acquisitions or whether it's just raising raising the money for the for the for the fund, mm. um, okay. um, uh, just something you know you know share share with us about this investment yeah. pl- platform and you know how it's uh, how it's helping you you know take your take take the company to the next level. Yeah, so definitely when you need to acquire many assets um, and you want to do that. Uh, uh, with the diligent and you want to make sure the quality is is there and, and get that scale, uh, you need every piece of the machine to be efficient. Uh, that, that is key, uh, high efficiency of all of the pieces together. Uh, and so when you think about financing, which is one of the areas where efficiency could be problematic because the traditional financing would be a one one by one. So you'd, you'd, you'd buy an asset for $5 million, you'd put a $3 million loan, and that would be secured uh, securitized uh, to to the bank, so there's going to be a lien on it, uh, and so that would be the traditional way. But if you need to buy one per day, how do you do that? And many banks don't even want to do that because if you have one of your buildings with two years left on the lease, uh, which could be an opportunity if you didn't have a bank because you want to maybe upgrade that lease rate, uh, the bank thinks, hey, what happened in two years? I mean, that's that's just not a good uh, thing for me to finance. Uh, and so we had to think about efficient ways to. Uh, buy so many deals uh, without really thinking about uh, financing solutions every time. So we put together a, um, a solution with KeyBank. Uh, that first solution started in 2018, and KeyBank were awesome uh, to be very, very creative uh, with that. And the solution was actually to put a credit facility that was led by KeyBank, but also other banks that have joined KeyBank. Um, and today, uh, that, that those what, what called, what's called a credit facility. Uh, that sure. credit facility helped us not only in the first fund, in the second, and also in the third, and in other banks, and, and, and even larger banks have joined that uh, now. Uh, but the idea was that if you have a credit facility uh, that has a, you can only purchase under that credit facility a set box of, of known industrial uh, assets, uh, could be different, specific size, specific uh, list terms, uh, you know, specific credit, then you can really run fast and fill it up with those terms. So if you have that support and trust from your uh, financing partners, then you don't need to go every time and secure uh, each one of those assets under the line. And so it started. We started that very much t- a tailor-made facility, and uh, and the second fund that facility we learned from mistakes. We adapted that facility and recreated something that was more more efficient to what we need. And it's just been and how to improve efficiency all the time. Um, 
uh, and that's something that will work for the banks and work for us. Uh, and that's been something that was a game changer to buy the small stuff because it wasn't something they, um, they've done that before, but not specifically the way we need it. And so it, it needed to do, it needed to have some adoptions. Uh, on the equity side, um, we, you know, till date raised most of our funds out of uh, Israel and we have um, uh, an office with uh, a really talented um, uh, folks uh, led by uh, Raz Rahamim and, and they are very, very strong with the Israeli institutional investors. And so those relationships over time have really helped us. And one of the things I can say is that it doesn't matter where you grow from, from a deal of $5 million to a fund of $1 billion, uh, your your LPs, your, your partners, your investors are, you know, the most important thing you have them because this, you're doing everything for them. And if someone forgets about his LPs because now he's raising more money and doesn't need some of those LPs anymore, then, you know, life has a tendency to, uh, you know, to, to, to pay for that. Um, Interesting. Right. Karma, a little, a little yeah, bit of karma you're saying, right? <laughs> exactly. I can tell you, um, Israeli institutional investors today are, um, you know, we, 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 they have made this business happen and we don't forget that. And same goes for the high net worth individuals and, sure. and all of that stuff. So th- this is a, um, as you say, this is an ecosystem, uh, of banks, of investors, of brokers, of, uh, property managers. And you need to be a positive force within that ecosystem to make it work. Yeah. You talked about your, you know, um, research department and kind of your you know research platform is sort of becoming kind of a techno techno you know beast if you will right um from the data that you guys are you know seeing are you identifying some you know trends in the industrial market and maybe things on a high level that you can share you know without giving too much of your secret sauce if you will right yeah no well we're, we're happy to uh, uh to share i think that uh, um some of the things you know one of the things we're asking ourselves is uh, what's going to be the next uh, emerging market, and uh, where can we invest today to to make sense? And um, and what's going to be the next Austin? Because everybody thinks about Austin today as by the uh, Texas uh, hub uh, sure. for tech. And so we look, for example, if you take uh, Tampa, we think that uh, Tampa could be very much the next uh, Miami when you look at some of the uh, uh, demographics and and growth. And if you think about some other things that related to um, uh, rent growth and where should I buy property today to get that rent growth? So, for example, we look if you look at the Northeast, then uh, Philadelphia uh, is enjoying a very high density uh, because of the corridor between um, uh, Washington, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York, uh, and that density uh, is very, very strong for rent growth. And sometimes, because e-commerce is something that has to do a catch-up. It's, it grew so much during COVID that now there's a catch-up phase. Right, so high-dense right. areas are getting much more um, demand from warehousing. And so even though Philadelphia doesn't have the uh, reputation of the next Miami because of all kinds of things, um, it does get a lot of rent growth because of its density and the fact that is um, such a, an important artery um, you know, be, you know, between New York and Washington, if you will. Um, and so we would see through our, t- through our data that hey, we can get good stuff in, in good prices in in the in southern New Jersey, Philadelphia area, um, and and that we would think that the fundamentals are better than how they're priced. So we would look for those mismatches. Uh, either it's places that we think are going to grow, or other places that today are showing positive fundamentals, but that's not built into the price. And we would just be more bullish on on those areas. 
Are you seeing something similar uh, on the West Coast as well? Uh, so I'd be happy to to say something about that, but we're not collecting any data uh, on the West Coast yet, just because okay. we don't have any offices uh, yet. But um, um, I, I guess Chicago is, is is as close as I can as I can. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but but uh, you are going to open an office in uh, Southern California, right? This is this yes. is on your on your roadmap, yeah. correct? Yes, definitely. Twenty twenty two. This is now, <laughs> uh, and we're looking to uh, to open at least two offices on the West Coast. Um, in Southern California, um, and um, also could be uh, uh, Phoenix, uh, uh, Seattle, and actually, what's going to drive the decision if it's this or that uh, is is the talent we find, and um, and could be also Northern uh, California. But uh, if we find the right person to to open the office, someone you know um, that has the experience in the industry, hungry to make a change, entrepreneur in mind, then um, that will change the priority of where we start. Um, and, and open that. But definitely that's something we want to do as soon as possible. Yeah, well, certainly Southern California, I mean, this is the you know, largest industrial market in the country, so I'm sure you can find people there. Yeah. Um, and then as far as uh, um, the entrepreneurial spirit, I think certainly, you know, Northern California is, has that in abundance, right? Um, well, listen, tell us a little bit about sort of where can people find out more about you guys um, if they want to reach out and, and invest and kind of, you know, partner with, with you. What's the, what's the best way to um, get in touch with your, with your company? Yeah, so uh, obviously we ha- we have a, a website uh, fairpoint.com so we can you know we could be contacted through there uh, social media um if it's um uh, mostly uh, LinkedIn um and we also even have a, a podcast of the Fairpoint group that um you know we talk about interesting stuff um, um such as we had in this conversation uh so I guess all of the above. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Adir, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. This is a uh, you know very interesting and sounds like you guys are are on the you know precipice here of a very exciting new chapter for your for your company also so best of luck. Thank you for inviting me, Vlad. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.